I'm Jonathan Flynn, and this is the Interim Leader Podcast, brought to you by Audges Interim, the UK's largest provider of interim management services. I had the pleasure of speaking to David Smith, the current Chief Executive of Hamleys the other day. We had a long and rather comprehensive discussion, which we've broken down into two more bite-sized parts. This episode covers the current landscape of the retail sector, and the second half focuses on the future of retail. Without further ado, here's part one of our conversation on the seismic shift of the retail industry. I'm joined this afternoon by David Smith, a retail executive with extensive experience in running multi-channel businesses. Between 2016 and 2019, he was the managing director of the International Division of Debenhams, and currently he's the chief executive of Hamleys. Good afternoon, welcome. Thanks, Jonathan. Uh, thanks for the invitation. It's great to be here. Um, David, picking up this conversation, I recently did a, a podcast and interview with uh, a lady called Susan Harlow, who's the former chief executive of uh, Jack Wills. And at that time, we were in lockdown and I was discussing with Suzanne the seismic shift in retail and, and what I identified as the four pillars of change that retail businesses were looking at. I wanted to bring the conversation forward to where we are now in terms of um, non-essential and fashion retailers have opened their doors and you know the high street is open again. And just pick up the conversation and see where the retail landscape uh, lies now that uh, you know people are back out there shopping again. So... Um, as chief executive of Hamleys and uh, having a retail presence on, on, on Regent Street, just wanted to get your sense of how are things out there in the high street? Yeah, I mean, it's been a really interesting transition from obviously the lockdown situation that um, all businesses had been in to the government's announcement that we could start trading non-essential retail from the 15th of June. It, retailers thought that was an interesting day. Mondays aren't the best days normally to start trading. Um, and, um, but, you know, there was an intense amount of work from all retailers um, to make sure that guidelines were agreed across the board. Um, a lot of interesting work actually done with the British Retail Consortium and also in the case of the, of the West End in London, we have the new West End company who we agreed, you know, a, a raft of measures and a raft of sort of standards around everything from safety of customers to how to operate stores effectively. Um, and to make sure that even the, you know, the environment around, for example, the West End was sufficiently um, sanitized and, and cleaned. Mm. Now, interestingly, you know, June the 15th came, um, there was a huge amount of fanfare in the press. Um, I'd have to say that the initial cues that were um, highlighted didn't really last for very long. You know, I, I think in some cases, um, people were very keen to sort of break away from the lockdown and there was a sense of being able to get out to shop. But what was really interesting early on is a, a sense that uh, the sort of town centres were less populated with footfall, I would argue, than, um, let's say, out-of-town destinations. And I think there was a fundamental uh, challenge, which continues in the West End, for example, which is that people were shying away from using public transportation because that's a fundamental challenge to get people into the environment. And um, at that time, and even now, the government are obviously um, asking people to avoid using public transport if possible. So the preparations were done. I, I think that businesses across the board put a huge amount of both time and effort, but also cost into the sort of reopening, if you like, of, of stores. And I think that went for everything from you know, directional signage to hand sanitizers to uh, plexiglass or glass um, up at the uh, the cash desks 
to PPE for the staff um, through to, um, you know, a, a lot of additional operational elements that were going to make the environment as safe and as conducive to, you know, a, a great shopping experience as possible. At the same time, interestingly, uh, retailers turned costs back on because having enjoyed in some cases the furlough scheme, it required obviously um, people to be taken off furlough. And so the costs started to obviously be sort of switched on and there, was, there were great expectations that revenue um, would follow. And I'd say that in the first sort of week or so tracking uh, the West End particularly, we saw footfall still down year on year about 95%. Uh, um, and whilst there's been a slight recovery of that over the first couple of weeks, um, it's still about probably 85% down year on year. And interestingly, the, 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 whilst the non-essential retail opened, not much else did. And, and I think there's another fundamental issue. So I, I mentioned one barrier, which is the public transportation. But people don't tend to come into the West End just to go shopping. They tend to come in to make a day of it, or yeah. they tend to come in to do other things. And so if you imagine um, that up until this coming weekend, the 4th of July, where food and beverage will start to reopen slowly under new um, sort of guidelines, up until this point, none of that's open. So the idea of coming to the West End, doing a bit of shopping, meeting your friends, having lunch, that doesn't happen because there isn't anywhere to go and have lunch because everything's been shut down. And I think on top of that, um, a lot of businesses in the West End are heavily indexed towards tourists. And I think one of the big things we're missing right now is tourists in London. I mean, they're not coming back. But I think at the moment, we're not seeing the forward bookings um, that are going to drive uh, tourist numbers back into um, the West End anytime soon. Um, th there is a third element, which um, it would be what we'd call our daily footfall, which are office workers. I've spoken to lots of friends and contacts, and depending where they work in different industries, a lot of people saying that their offices won't be reopened until at least 2021, sort of spring of next year. And, I, you know, I think that's a challenge as well because businesses rely a lot on footfall during the day, people going to the shops at lunchtime, you know, picking up things. And so we're not seeing much of that either and nor are we likely to see it. So I think a lot of great work's been done operationally. I think that the experience will be as strong as it ever was. Yeah. I, I think at the moment there are just too many barriers, particularly coming into the West End, to sense that there's going to be um, a fast recovery we think there will naturally be a recovery, but we think it's just going to take a lot longer um, than perhaps we'd first um, expected. Um, I mentioned, you know, out of town, and I think that's really interesting because we have definitely seen in some stores in, in big centres like Lakeside, for example, um, that we have seen significant uh, increase in footfall. And that's interesting in the sense that people where they can take their own private transportation, that's seen as a, a, a more acceptable proposition, I think, for customers. And so we're definitely seeing, um, you know, increased performance and increased footfall in some of the, the larger centres. And that's mirroring to a little bit to some degree, I think, um, down to the high street as well. So even sort of local high street where people are and probably have been during the lockdown much more supportive of smaller retailers where people have continued to trade. So, so I think that the West End and large city centres is a slow recovery. That there's no question. Um, 
Um, a lot of um, CEOs I've spoken to in the West End particularly are predicting to be probably back to about 50% of last year by Christmas. Um, and then hoping through, uh, you know, the influx of tourism and uh, a number of other things opening up into the spring of next year, that we will see an acceleration, you know, similar to the levels that we've experienced before. Yeah. I'm sorry, I was going to say, with all of these things, with these increased costs, um, decreased footfall, another period of uncertainty for retail businesses, because we've just come off the back of last year, the uncertainty around Brexit, increased costs with pension contribution, business rates, apprenticeship levies. Is all of this, there's a lot of promotion and discounting happening out there. Is this what's driving all of that? I think it. I think it depends on um, the sector that you're in. Um, I think particularly fashion, um, there is an enormous amount of discounting going on. During the lockdown, we were modelling different sort of sort of opening scenarios, and one of the scenarios was called the dash for cash. And the dash for cash is very simply that um, a lot of retailers been sitting on spring, summer seasonal merchandise for a very long period and need to start to uh, move that inventory quickly into, and uh, you know, drive cash into their businesses. So I think what we're seeing at the moment with one or two exceptions um, is a significant amount of discounting. Um, and that seems to be driving uh, footfall. I think there are one or two exceptions. Um, I think Primark um, are not uh, discounting uh, significantly. And they're also seeing they've just announced a decent third quarter and a, a decent return to, uh, to trading. But it, it belies the fact that obviously Primark had no trading at all for the whole period of lockdown due to the fact yeah. that they don't have an online proposition. And I yeah. think that that's the, the next sort of critical stage as businesses start to you know, pivot to a more of an online future than perhaps um, they've engaged with before. But, but certainly now cash is absolutely the driver. And, um, you know, I think particularly before any new uh, seasonal merchandise starts to come into um, a lot of the fashion retailers, they have to liquidate all of the stock that they've currently got. You, you mentioned Primark there, and there's another couple of retailers that, that, that seem to be doing quite well, um, Nike and Ikea. Do you think because all this discount is, is, is out there, that's what drove the, um, you know, the initial increase in footfall that's tailed off? You know, it's quite similar to you know, the, the post-Christmas sale period, isn't it? I think there were two things. I think that's, that's absolutely one. People always are looking for a bargain. Bargain, you know, yeah. And, you know, they're, they're happy to buy product at discount. Um, that, there's no question. There's always going to be those customers. I think the, the second thing was... Um, you know, that drove them was really just the novelty, you know, and be able to almost tell their friends, you know, I was in the queue act or, you know, I was there on day one as the, as the stores reopened. It's a sort of maybe a little bit of a badge of honor um, for some uh, customers. And um, it was also interesting that in the certain retailers, people were coming in with specific issues. So the, the sense of browsing didn't really exist in, and hasn't really existed in those couple of weeks. If, if I just take Hamleys, for example, I mean, our, our conversion rate on a relatively low uh, footfall has been pretty much 100% because everybody who's come in has been looking to buy something as opposed to just coming in to, to browse. And I think that can be said of a lot of other retailers that people have been sort of more on a mission. I, I think that's uh, definitely a changing in customer behavior. Absolutely. 
just the last thing about uh, discounts I was going to mention, is this going to be something with cash being king? And we've seen a number of businesses go through uh, job cuts, prepack administrations. We've heard all this news in the last week. Is heavy discounting what we're going to see for the rest of 2020? I think there's an inevitability, uh, depending how quickly people are unwinding their, you know, their stock uh, positions. Um, uh, I do think, though, and, and that cash, you know, and, and managing cash flow is going to be a critical part of making sure that businesses um, are going to, in some cases, survive um, and in some cases be able to sort of, you know, prosper again um, as we sort of look forward into 2021 and beyond. Um, but I don't think I, it, it clearly isn't the case that just discounting is the panacea here um, and is going to sort of be the thing that's going to make businesses successful in the future. I, I think that you know, businesses now have to take a much longer and harder look at themselves and decide what they stand for. You know, what's the purpose of the business? What's the future product and customer proposition? Do they have something that's distinctive enough? Um, are they telling the story sufficiently well in stores and online, you know, in terms of the sort of omni-channel uh, proposition, you know, and, and how are they engaging customers in a way perhaps that they haven't previously done? And I, I think that, you know, retailers now have to step back and become a little bit less focused purely on transaction driving and more focused on the customer journey, the customer engagement, the customer experience, Absolutely. and at the same time, recognizing that partly due to COVID, but clearly already happening before COVID, yeah. the customer behavior, customer buying patterns, customers, you know, the way that they're sort of behaving and, and making purchase decisions is changing quite dramatically. And I, I guess we can sum up as, you know, digital transformation. And whilst yeah. I think a lot of retailers have been paying lip service to digital transformation for many years, arguably, yeah. Agreed. Um, there's not there's not that much evidence um, in some cases that that's really um, been sort of top of their list of priorities. And I think what COVID's probably done um, is really sort of brought that to light in more ways than perhaps um, if we hadn't. Not that not that I would ever wish for a, a pandemic to have to sort of highlight that sort of thing. But it was interesting. There was a great quote from Warren Buffett um, that said that went um, only when the tide goes out, do you discover who has been swimming naked? Yeah. And I think that's that's a really apt phrase for the impact that COVID's had. And I think that we are beginning to see now those businesses that haven't necessarily made the gains that they probably should have done to embrace this sort of new digital world. Uh, and we're able to start transforming those businesses. And so. I do think the rules have changed, that there's no question. Um, I think that the old business playbook has been somewhat turned upside down for retail. And I think there probably are about, I think there are five sort of critical areas that, that businesses need to sort of really focus on. One is, I've touched on, is customers. Yeah. The second one is the competition. It's interesting how many retailers don't really think enough about their competition. They, they're just very focused on what they're doing. And I, I think it's important to have that broader sense of competition. Uh, data is becoming increasingly important and, and what people do with it. It's not just the ability to collect it. It's the ability to mine it and make sense of it and do something you know, with it. Um, 
Innovation is another really important area um, that uh, retailers have not been sufficiently focused on. And I think that retailers have to think more and more about creating these sort of almost laboratories for innovation within their organizations to make sure that there is something new being tried, you know, on a sort of week by week, month by month basis. Um, and finally, you know, I think value is a critical area. Now, we've talked about discounting and price. But clearly that on its own doesn't equal value. And I think it's got to be around the proposition. It's got to be around the purpose of the company. It's got to be around the quality and the innovation on product. And I think overall, um, we've got, and, and finally, whether you're online or in a store, it's got to be about service. And, and that could be as, go as far as personalization and, and really understanding who you are as a customer and, and making those um, bespoke recommendations. And I think all of that wraps up into a new value proposition that customers um, have just a higher expectation of. Again, not just because of COVID, but because of the way that they are now beginning to, um, I think, increase their expectations of, um, of the shopping experience. So discount will keep the wheels on for a little yeah. bit. Yeah. Um, but but it, it isn't, as I say, it's, I don't think it's the, the panacea. It's a necessity right now, but I... Yeah. I I don't think anybody believes that a race to the bottom on price is 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 the uh, you know the ultimate solution. It is about better understanding of value and, and some of the other points I've, I've sort of just touched on. Yeah, I love the Warren Buffett quote. Um, one of the things I was uh, that, that it drove me to think there is about shining a light on the weaknesses or the lack of digital transformation that's occurred in businesses. We've all been talking about multi-channel, omni-channel digital transformation since the noughties. One of the things we saw in the, the retail press recently about TM Lewin shutting all of its 66 stores through a pre-pack administration. I mean, is a pre-pack administration a get-out-of-jail card free for some retailers that haven't done as much as they need to do in terms of digital transformation? Because that business now under its new ownership is going to become a pure play. Uh, yeah, I mean, there's, a, there's obviously a lot of talk and has been um, over the last 12 months or so around CBAs um, and also um, the notion of pre-packing businesses. You know, I, I think that I don't think it's necessarily in the case of TM Lewin or anybody else, just a simple reflection of their inability to do that, the digital transformation piece. I, I think it's obviously, you know, broader than that in terms of the total sort of, um, you know, structural economics of the business and probably picking up some of the other areas um, that we've talked about already, including, you know, competition and pricing and customer expectations, um, et cetera. So I think, you know, whilst pre-pack is available to retailers, I think what it, what it clearly does, it allows the sort of the, the sale and any sort of assets of the business before the appointment, before you get into that sort of administration um, part and, and what it allows businesses to do probably is be sold as a going concern. We allow the business to make some of the changes it needs to make and continues to sort of preserve the assets of the business that yeah. the organization or the new owner wants to take forward and, and sort of relinquishing the the business of other elements. Um, and in this case, clearly, leases would be an obvious example. You know, businesses have struggled um, and continue to struggle with a very onerous leases. And I think that there are, there are two very big topics right now in, that, in this space. Um, one is onerous leases and the other is business rates. And I think that, you know, the, it's high time the government came 
forward with a, a report and proposal on business rates and how they're going to be reviewed. And I think that if the government is serious about the recovery of retail, I think yeah. business rate is absolutely an area that needs uh, completely uh, reviewing. The second thing really is the whole uh, landlord debate and uh, rents in general. Um, and again, whilst as retailers, we have levels of frustration where landlords don't seem to want to come to the table to have conversations about improving um, the situation, trying to make it a slightly more equitable partnership between the revenues achieved by the landlord and, and obviously the asset that they own and the retailer's ability to both trade you know, and make money at the same time. And I think at the moment, if um, landlords aren't careful, this will become a bit of a house of cards because yeah. the more retailers that either do prepack um, administrations or CVAs, the more empty units we're going to have. I mean, I, I noted this last couple of weeks. I mean, Oxford Street has a lot of empty units yeah. on it right now. Yeah. And whilst um, the landlords will claim, you know, they've got a certain sort of asset value that they're trying to protect, etc., these onerous rent agreements just cannot be the future because um, they may have an asset, but it will be lying empty because retailers won't be able to afford to remain um, sort of in, in those, those locations. And so I know there's a very big call, which I'm very supportive of, to move to just pure turnover rents, um, which is seen as being a much more fairer and more transparent way of operating. And I hope with both government um, and other sort of areas, including the British Retail Consortium, making sure that we're doing as much as we can to convince re the retailers that we need to move to this new way of working together. As we're now seeing some of the bigger retailers come out of um, lockdown, uh, just yesterday um, we saw John Lewis announce that they won't be opening all their stores again. Well, I don't think anyone's surprised. Um, I'm certainly not because there are clearly a number of stores in their portfolio that just don't make money. So, so it, it's a. I think probably the most critical and sensitive area. We've sort of emerged from lockdown. We've done some great operational stuff. We think the shopping experience will be safe, secure, and as fun as it was uh, previously. But to make this a sustainable recovery, we've got to address those areas, uh, rates and, um, and, uh, and rents. Absolutely, because you know, retailers have been lobbying for this for, for, for years, and it's almost like it's got to the point where the government's trying to shut the barn door and the horse has bolted. Um, you know, I've been talking to many retailers over many, many years, they talked about the perfect storm of costs coming into retail organisations. And rent and rates are the, you know, the first two that everybody mentioned, uh, along with falling footfall and increased pressure you know, on margins. So it's, it's, it's been you know, incredibly difficult, as you say, to, you know, for any retailers to, to, to make money. And I think you know, a, a big change needs to happen in order for the government to, uh, to support the industry. And that concludes part one of this two-part interview with David. Thank you to everyone who's joined us for this episode of The Interim Leader. To hear the second half of the conversation where we delve into topics around the future of retail, touching on areas such as the rise of localism, the furloughing of retail space and subscription models, please do tune into part two. As always, if you've enjoyed this episode of The Interim Leader, please like, subscribe and follow for more insights from our network of consultants, clients and interim managers.